Welcome everyone to the Ready for the Draft podcast. I am your host, Greg Shoots. This is episode 11 of the 2021 podcast series. Taking a look at the draft eligible prospects, getting you ready for the NFL draft, which is set to begin in April 2021. Week 11 of the college football season in the books. November football in full swing. And I'll tell you what, it was kind of an awkward, awkward November because you look at the SEC, four games postponed due to COVID concerns. Uh, it included the number one ranked Alabama Crimson Tide, uh, Texas A&M, Georgia, and Auburn all did not play on Saturday. Plus, you had Ohio State uh, against Maryland. That game was canceled. Really, with the Big Ten, there's no room for error there, so they weren't able to reschedule that game. But there's still there were a lot of fireworks, a lot of interesting play uh, throughout the the the, the weeks week eleven. Uh, when you look at Wisconsin against Michigan, 49 to 11, uh, you know this was a program Michigan that really struggled and uh, to get anything going. And when you look at that defense, no Quiddy Pay, no Aiden Hutchinson. You know you had to take your interior lineman. Carlo Kemp is a guy who's been playing over the nose. And you had to move him out to defensive end in order to to, to take on Wisconsin. And uh, Wisconsin just dominated there against Michigan, 49-11. Indiana, you know, the, the, the dream season there for, for Tom Allen just continues. You know, the, the 10th-ranked Hoosiers go into East Lansing, 24-0 win there. You know, Michael Penix Jr., uh, you know, this is a guy who I think you know, people will be talking about for next year's draft is one of those sleepers, 320 yards passing on the day, two touchdowns. But the guy that we're going to be talking about is Ty Freifogel. 11 catches, 200 yards, two touchdowns. You know, this is a guy, he's not the most explosive receiver by any means, but this is a guy who, who understands how to get open, runs tremendous routes, very reliable, excellent hands. He's a guy to me that has a chance to be a day three receiver and even if he's an undrafted free agent he makes a roster and you, you know you see a lot of these guys that, that don't end up getting drafted I always go back to to Alan Lazard you know a big receiver out of Iowa State a guy who was one of my favorite receivers when he came out and he goes undrafted ends up bouncing around to a couple of teams lands with the Packers and ends up having a huge game in week three before he gets hurt but just Alan Lazard showing what he can do. And I look at a guy like Ty Freifogel, and you know he may or may not get drafted. It's going to be interesting to see how he tests. But this is you know, a model of consistency. There will be a quarterback out there who, at the next level, will love throwing the football to Freifogel because he is such a reliable target. Then you move on to Miami. You know, Ninth-ranked Hurricane come back to beat Virginia Tech. The come-from-behind win, 25-24. And, you know, De'Ara King, kind of an up-and-down game, still 255 yards and a touchdown. He's a guy, you know, at, at that quarterback position. Is he going to be drafted as a quarterback? That's going to be a huge question. I bet you he's going to end up being a, a day-three pick. Someone will take a chance on him. Is he going to be a gadget player? Is he going to be a guy that teams are going to really be looking at as a quarterback? You know, I think he's going to have to show more consistency at the quarterback position. Um, but, you know, with Virginia Tech, it, it was all about Christian Derrissaw. Uh, you know, this was a dude who just eliminated and erased Quincy Roche from any, uh, you know, really off 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 the field. You know, this was a guy who was so poised, uh, coming out of his stance, very light on his feet, and just a guy. He was beating Roche to the edge, and the hand stayed inside. 
very good technique. Uh, you know, the athleticism, you know, just he's oozing potential. And I can see, you know, I hadn't gotten to see Derisaw yet. And so I didn't have him rated among my top tackles. I've already moved him up to number three. I think, you know, you put him right there. He has a chance to challenge Samuel Cosby to be the number two tackle taken in the draft. I firmly believe that behind Panay Sewell because of that athleticism, because of the, the length that he has, and then the power in his hands as well. This is a guy to me, he's just continuing to, to get better and better as, as the weeks go on. And, um, you know, from, from what I've been hearing, you know, he, he's been a beast. This was, like I said, the first time that I've gotten to see him. And uh, this year, I remember when he was a, a true freshman and he was getting picked on a little bit. And now, you know, the, there's nobody picking on, on, uh, on number 77 there for the Hokies. You know, like I said, you know, he's, he's a very you know, knee bender good feet a surprising feet for a guy his size you know and, and Quincy Roche even when he got a jump on him he was able to just take him up the field and away from the pocket didn't panic didn't try to reach or lunge or anything like that just calmly shoved him away and, and up the field um you know and, and just again that that lateral agility really neutralized the effectiveness of Roche all game long now the flip side Jalen Phillips was dominant 6'5", 266-pound junior, the transfer from UCLA, battled injuries, but he was, uh, you know, used to be a, a uh, you know, a top uh, prized prospect there for, for UCLA, one of the top in the country. You know, finishes this game, eight tackles, two and a half sacks, four and a half tackles for loss. A guy who has excellent hand usage, slapping the right tackle's hands away from him, then able to turn and bend. The bend with this kid is, is real, it's legit. He has power in his hands as well. He can play the run, sets a really nice edge. If you haven't seen Jalen Phillips play, you gotta tune in and watch the Hurricanes. This is a guy to me that I think is, is one of the more complete defensive ends. He's a guy who can play the run, can play the pass. Um, we've even seen him drop into coverage a little bit. Does a really good job getting his hand into passing lanes as well. I'm a big fan of Jalen Phillips. The big concern, okay, where are we at in terms of his, uh, you know, the medical red shirt, I'm sorry, the, yeah, the medicals, and, and is that really a red flag? That's going to be the thing that, you know, if, if the medicals do check out, I think Jalen Phillips is going to rise up draft boards for sure. And then I'll give you one other guy who's kind of a sleeper there for Miami, and that's Jared Williams. He's 6'6", 308, the Houston transfer at right tackle. You know, this is a guy who has shown athleticism, you know, and he keeps those feet moving. And you know, I like his ability to to change directions, uh, especially on those those uh, those moves back to the inside. You see a little bit of, of stiffness laterally, but uh, you know, he's still able to use his length to end up driving a guy away from the pocket. Um, you know, so I, Jared, Jared Williams is a guy I think that teams could be looking at day three as a potential swing tackle. Um, he has experience on both sides of, of the line, although I think he'll probably be a right tackle at the next level. So, you know, the, I think the game that, that everybody had to be tuning into was watching Florida take on Arkansas. Why? Kyle Trask, man. Uh, the sixth-ranked Gators, you know, 63 35 winners and Kyle Trask was absolutely dominant in this game. Uh, you know, 20, 23 to 29, 356 yards, six touchdown passes. This was his sixth straight game with at least four touchdowns, uh, which is an, an SEC record. And uh, you know, a guy who you know in in the first half, 18 to 22, 285 yards, five touchdowns, and 
everyone talks about the arm strength and it's one of those things that's really awkward because you'll see a couple of throws that'll leave you scratching your head going yeah there's there's that lack of arm strength that everybody's been talking about but this is a guy who you know, he's throwing from from the right hash to the wide side of the field and, and he has to put it over a linebacker and get it to his receiver before the, the the corner can get you know outside in and make a play on on the receiver and he gets it there on a line able to put it over the the linebacker and get it there before the the corner arrives and the ball placement too he puts it away from the corner so when the corner's coming through he's not able to make a play on the football and then also coming down the seam able to put the ball right where his receiver needs it and he's putting the ball you know with touch He's not throwing a laser where the, the linebacker underneath can make a play on the football. He's got the touch to put it just over the linebacker and before the defensive back can go get over there and make a play. To me, this is a guy who's just continuing to to, to show why um, he's a he's a quarterback that's on the rise. And you know, I think a lot of people talk about recent recency bias. And you know, a lot of people are saying, well, that's be, you know, that's it's just recency bias with with people talking about Kyle Trask and and Zach Wilson potentially being better than, than Trey Lance. For me, I think when you look at Kyle Trask, yes, he only has uh, you know 15 games under his belt. He's 12 and three um, as a starter. You know, this was a guy who you know backed up De'Ara King in, in college. I'm sorry, in high school. Broke his foot in 2018, finally gets the keys when Felipe Franks goes down to injury and never relinquishes a starting job. You know, but I think the maturity is there. You watch him with with his understanding, you know, his ability to look off off the safety uh, and be able to, to then come back and hit his man. You know, and, and another play, he he looks off the linebacker. You know, I, which I thought was was really key. You know, on these underneath or you know throws over the middle or up the seam, the middle linebacker can't get over and make that play if he's able to hold him and he's able to do that. You know, where's the blitz coming from? He's going to be able to throw behind the blitz. Understanding what the defense is doing and how to attack it is really a strength of Kyle Trask. That football IQ. You talk about that with Zach Wilson as well. Now, these are guys who you know have have continued to mature and develop. And I think the thing with Trey Lance that worries me is this guy, you know, not only is, is he a one-year starter, and I know that, you know, he started the same number of games as Kyle Trask, uh, you know, essentially, but, you know, Trey Lance is is a, a redshirt sophomore who's played one game as a sophomore. So really, you're talking about one, one year body of work as a redshirt freshman. Now, granted, that, that was a dominant performance, you know, a guy who never threw a, an interception in, in his freshman season. Um, but it's one of those things that will, you know, give you, uh, you know, give you pause. You know, I think there is some cause for concern there. Uh, you know, when you look at a lot of guys who have one year of experience under their belt, uh, you know, I was fooled by, by Dwayne Haskins. You know, I thought that Dwayne Haskins was going to be a guy that was going to step onto the field and be a, a playmaker there for the Washington football team. And unfortunately, that just hasn't happened. And what was he? He was largely a one-year guy. And, you know, the, the youth, you know, and the immaturity was absolutely there. And so those are some of the things that I worry about. I watch a guy like Kyle Trask. I watch Zach Wilson. And the maturity that, that is there with, with both of those guys, I, I think, you know, that's really what has me concerned about Trey Lance, you know, being that redshirt sophomore. Yes, he started the same number of games as Kyle Trask in in his time there, brief time with uh, North Dakota State. But you know, I think it definitely means something. You know, this is a guy that hasn't seen 
you know the the types of defenses and the type of schemes that that have been thrown at uh, Kyle Trask and even you know Zach Wilson. So I think that's really where I where I am in this right now with that quarterback group. Um, will Trey Lance end up getting drafted as as a number three quarterback? More than likely, yes. Will I still keep him in my top three? I don't know. I don't know if I will, but I think Trey Lance, because of the potential, the potential is absolutely there. I think if Trey Lance goes to the right situation, you know, he could be golden. But the thing is, is, you know, I, I don't think he'll be able to step in right away. If he can get a job like, like Jordan Love, sitting behind Aaron Rodgers, waiting for his turn, I think that would be the best scenario for Trey Lance. Look, if the Saints, you know, well, really, when you look at the Saints right now, you know, the more that I think about it, Drew Brees is probably going to retire at season's end. But, uh, you know, if he can get in with a team that has a veteran quarterback that he can learn from, you know, hey, you know, Carolina, uh, you know, they've got Teddy Bridgewater there, but is he truly the, the long-term answer? Uh, you know, there could be a couple of teams that he could possibly fit in. And, uh, you know, hey, Tampa, um, you know, if he ends up sliding in the draft, you know, I, I don't think that will happen. Uh, but I think what you have to do is you have to, to put him in that right situation in order for him to thrive. I don't think you can just, you know, you can plug him in anywhere and, and allow him to, to ball out. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, you look at Notre Dame, 45-31 winners over Boston College. And with the Irish, you know, th- this was a game where, you know, they, they you, know, you have Ian Book, 283 yards passing, three touchdowns, and, and really Kyron Williams never got going as a running back. And Ian Book was a leading rusher with 85 yards on the ground and a touchdown there as well. Um, you know, I, I think really what the what that story was was that defense there for for Notre Dame really giving Phil Dracovic a lot of trouble. You know, the 6'5", 226 pound redshirt sophomore, the transfer from Notre Dame, just 18 of 40. You know, he did throw for 272 yards and two touchdowns, but this is a guy I think you know he holds on to the ball way too long at times. You know, I, I think whenever he rolls out, he he's backpedaling a lot of times. He's throwing off his back foot. And I think he trusts his arm a little bit too much and tries to make the big play, tries to force things a little bit too much instead of just taking what the defense gives him. And that's really the, the big concern that I have for Phil Dracovic right now. I still have him rated in my top 10 for quarterbacks, but I'd love to see him come back for one more season there under uh, under you know Coach Halfley uh, there with the with the Golden Eagles. Uh, you know I think when you look at Notre Dame, you're talking about uh, JOK. You know Jer- Jeremiah Wusu Koromoa. Um, this was a dude. Uh, the tremendous recovery speed. Uh, you know Djokovic threw a ball out to uh, to the receiver deep, and I, I believe it was Zay Flowers, the, the fastest guy on BC's team. And the recovery speed was ridiculous. He was able to get back and ultimately um, he kind of reached back for the for the football uh, because the ball was underthrown and was able to break up the ball, you know, kind of reaching behind him. But the way that he was able to recover, because he was beat, but he was able to get out there and make a play on the football. Can we just talk about the fact that, hey, this is a rover, a linebacker, whatever the case may be. He's out there on the outside covering receivers. Not just in the slot, but on the outside. You don't see too many guys that are able to do that. This is a guy, to me, I think should be a top 15, top 20 pick when it's all said and done. He's not Isaiah Simmons, and that's a good thing. This is the guy, he's been playing Rover there for, for Notre Dame for quite a while. You know what you're getting. You know he's you know he's not the guy who's going to be a, a jack-of-all-trades, master of none like Isaiah Simmons. I think JOK could actually come in and, and make a difference for an NFL franchise right off the bat. 
Uh, Liam Eichenberg, again, a model of consistency, 6'6", 302, excellent hands. He's a knee bender, very patient uh, offensive tackle, understands angles, does a really good job with his kick slide as a pass protector. Still want to see him be a little bit more physical in the running game. I think he's still uh, more of a finesse tackle there when it comes to uh, the run game. But I'm a huge Liam Eichenberg fan. The consistency is right there. And for me, he's a technician, much like Dylan Radins. And I think after the, the top three of the tackles, when you're talking about Sewell, Cosme, and, and Derisaw, I think when you look at Eichenberg and, and Dylan Radins, those are the next two guys that I think will come off the board as offensive tackles. And they're both a couple of technicians. Uh, they're decent athletes, but I don't think they're quite on that same level as the first three guys but they're definitely guys who are going to keep your quarterback upright, and uh, they're a lot of fun to watch if you like watching guys in the trenches like I do. Uh, ben Skaronic, the, the transfer from Northwestern, 6'3", 224 pounds, another dude who's really reliable. And this was a game that I think really jumped out and uh, and had people take notice a little bit. I think, uh, you know, I saw on, on Twitter that, that, uh, that uh, Jim Nagy, there with uh, the Senior Bowl, really looking at, at, at Skaronic now. Five receptions, 63 yards, three touchdowns. His ability to elevate over uh, defenders, make plays on the football, the, the tremendous hands, the strength in his hands, catching the ball away from his body, uh, and then the blocking ability. He was making some blocks down the field, uh, springing both running backs and receivers for extra yards. Uh, Skaronic, I think, has definitely helped him. Uh, you know, since he's transferred there to Notre Dame, uh, you know Hunter Long or Hunter Long, the, the tight end, 6'5", 253. He he has been the number one guy there for Phil Dracovic, and he kind of struggled to get to really get going. You know, he's one of those guys though finds a way to get open. Four receptions, 59 yards, and a touchdown. Dracovic on the move. He's going to look to try to change his route up to be able to come back to his quarterback. Excellent hands, solid blocker as well. I think Hunter Hunter Long, if he decides to come out, is going to be a top five tight end in this year's draft. So as you continue moving along and you're looking at the, the top 25, USC, two weeks in a row, they under underperformed. They were outcoached, outplayed yet again. Um, but what I did like to see was what was Todd Orlando actually changing up the defense a little bit uh, at, at the half. I thought that, that Grant Gunnell, the, the quarterback there at U of A, uh, really exploited the, the, the defense. They would rush three, drop eight, and the middle would be wide open. There's nobody spying the quarterback, and Gunnell just ran all over the defense. Changed that up in the second half. The flip side, though, USC, you know, with that, that – air raid offense, the Mike Leach air raid offense that, that Graham Harrell is running, you got to be able to attack the middle of the field. And the problem was Graham Harrell wanted to continue to run run his offense, run all of the, the, the crossing routes and such. And, you know, this is a team, they can't even, you know, on, on a fourth and one, they can't get under center. And, you know, you almost know exactly, it's almost a comedy of errors. And if you watch the broadcast, even Gus Johnson and Joel Klatt on Fox said that this was just a painful offense to watch. And somehow, some way, USC still finds a way to win the game 34-30. Uh, it's something that is really mind-blowing. And this was with Keaton Slovis, uh, you know, really struggling. You know, he was not himself. You watched a lot of the, the footballs coming out of his hand, and they just they didn't look right. Um, you know, the throws just you know poor deep balls. Uh, it, it just really looked awkward. But when it counted, 
in the last two drives, 13 of 15, 144 yards, two touchdowns. Um, you know, the last drive he went five of five for 65 yards, and it, it it's just something that that you kind of shake your head at. You know, SC, you know, they finally put it all together. You know, on those last couple of drives, and Keith Slovis, look, even when he's not at his best, he's still able to to pull out a victory there from the clutches of defeat, um, and then. His go-to guy, really, even though Drake London is a physical freak, and we'll be talking about him in next year's draft as, as one of the top receivers, but uh, Amon Ross St. Brown, seven receptions, 113 yards. He, he's pretty sudden with his route running ability, um, but this is a guy who just, he, he knows how to get open, and I think he, he has this really advanced football IQ, understanding you know where to go in the zone. He's going to you know break off his route and find uh, the opening in the zone. He'll come back to his receiver or to his quarterback when he needs to. Um, and he has this sneaky athleticism. You know, I, I don't think that people are, you know, expect him to really elevate and contort his body in the air to make catches. Um, you know, but he, he's a reliable target, excellent hands, knows how to get open. Like I said, um, physical blocker as well. Uh, you know, he's six foot, 195 pounds, the junior. This is a guy who's going to be a, a possession receiver at the next level. A guy that's going to run out of the slot. You're going to love to to have him attack the middle of the field. Um, Amon Ross St. Brown is the guy that uh, that you'll have to keep an eye out for. Um, you know, Elijah Vera Tucker came back. Uh, you know, he had opted out, came back to SC, 6'4", 310-pound junior. You know, he's he's going to be a guard at the next level, but he's playing left tackle, and you see the active hands, his ability to shoot those hands inside and uh, and really lock on to, uh, onto the defender. But you see the athleticism, his ability to climb to the second level and find uh, that moving target and really be able to to generate some movement. Um, that athleticism you know, is something that I think you're really going to want to see there at the guard position. But he also generates a lot of power at the point of attack as well. And that's something that I think is is um, kind of his trademark. Again, you know, I brought it up before. He was USC's offensive lineman of the year at left guard when you know, lining up right next to him at left tackle was Austin Jackson, number 18 overall pick of the Miami Dolphins in this past year's draft. You know, if you look at the defensive side of the ball there for USC, uh, Marlon Tui-Polotu, 6'3", 305, the junior, he's been an absolute beast. You know, I think if there's been anybody who's really uh, benefited from Vic Soto coming over from Virginia, it's absolutely been Marlon Tuipolotu. So dominant. He was a Pac-12 defensive lineman of the week last week. And yet again, eight tackles, a tackle for loss. He's so powerful at the point of attack. He just, he jacks guys back, just throws people aside. And then you see that short area quickness in the burst. He's tackling guys in the open field. Uh, Tuipolotu to me is a guy, you know, Jay Tufele uh, opted out, you know, a lot of COVID concerns with his family uh, so it's understandable that Tufele would opt out so there was a lot of pressure on Tui Pelotu and he has risen to the occasion the defensive tackle position has been kind of shaky at times you know I, I don't see a, a ton of depth uh, there at the top of the draft so Tui Pelotu is, is one of those sneaky prospects who could rise up draft boards and then I'll give you a, a, another name you know, everyone talks about uh, Talanoa Hufanga um, you know because of his his, his range at, at safety, but he's that, that heat-seeking missile with reckless abandon, um, who always seems to get injured, and he was injured in this game as well. And then you have Isaiah Polamal, the 6'4", 205 safety. You know, he's another guy because of his size and his range. Everyone talks about him, but you got to talk about Elijah Griffin. Six foot, 175 pounds, the junior. 
Uh, Nate Dog's son. You know, this is a guy who you see the hips, his ability to uh, to turn and run with the receiver. You see the closing speed as well. There, you know, third and ten. Uh, Tavion Cunningham, the the smaller uh, receiver there for Arizona on a crossing route closed really fast in a hurry to drop to, drop him two yards shy of a first down this is a guy who was explosive had a big play for a touchdown there uh, you know to, to put Arizona up so you knew the guy had speed but this is someone you know with Elijah Griffin closes in a hurry that closing speed absolutely on display and then you know he gets up to the receiver wants to jam him when when he want when he can off the line as well so you know to me Elijah Griffin benefiting from a, a new position coach as well I think he's somebody who's an ascending prospect there for the Trojans uh, so, you know, those are a few of the games uh, there in the top 25 that I got to keep an eye on. Uh, you know, there's Marshall, 42-14 winners over uh, Middle Tennessee. You know, the freshman Grant Wells uh, balling out there yet again, 336 yards, five touchdowns. My guy, Brendan Knox, only a junior, could come back to, to the Thundering Herd, 70, car uh, 70 yards on 10 carries. Um, you know, a guy who's a physical runner, uh, a guy who's going to get downhill. Uh, you want to see him, you know, be more of a, of a defensive, I'm sorry, of a receiver in the passing game. Haven't really seen him do that too much, but a guy who is a one cut and go type of a guy. Uh, not a ton of wiggle at the next, you know, at the, the second level, but definitely somebody who's going to be you know, pounding the football. And uh, he's been a big reason why Marshall now is 7-0. and the guy that I really want to, or the game that I really want to talk about is Tulsa, SMU. So the Golden Hurricane at home against the 19th ranked SMU Mustangs. And look, it was 24 to 7 at the half. And then suddenly Tulsa, I mean, this team must have nine lives. It's absolutely ridiculous and remarkable what they've been able to do. Zach Smith, really you know, slow to get going yet again, ends up 26 to 38, 325 yards, three touchdowns, did throw one pick uh, you know, in that game. But you know, when you watch Zach, uh, Zach Smith play, you see the arm strength, his ability to, to throw the football down the field, you know, but then you know, the other consistency, he'll he'll hit a guy across the field, make a difficult throw, and then he'll have a receiver wide open uh, coming across the middle, and he'll just sail the football. I think some of the mechanics there are a little off uh, a little bit, but my guy, the guy that I've been talking about, my favorite player in this entire draft is Zavin Collins, number 23. If you haven't seen him, you got to watch him. 6'4", 265, the junior. He's probably going to run a 4'5", 40. Uh, whenever he gets to the combine, and this is a guy. Look, you know, he's he's a smart kid, high football IQ. You know, a guy who was a valedictorian of his high school pre-med as well. Um, but he does a little bit of everything. He has the bend uh, and the burst coming off the edge to be a pass rusher. He can set a hard edge against the run. Great open field tackler. A guy that's also able to drop into coverage. And when you watch him drop, um, you know, he has. Uh, three interceptions on the year and uh, you know the, the most critical in this game he makes an interception to seal the win and he drops into the passing lane and you know just reading the quarterback's eyes and able to to pick off the pass and when you look at Zavin, Zavin Collins uh, as of this taping we had you know I'm, I'm taping this on on Thursday and Tulsa taking on Tulane and yet again, 
uh, you know, this is the beginning of week 12, but still we're going to talk about it because it just happened and I'm still in awe of what Zayvon Collins has been able to do. This is, you know, the Tulsa yet again comes back from the clutches of defeat and they, on the last play of the game, backup quarterback, Zach Smith is not in the game. Uh, backup quarterback ends up throwing a touchdown pass as time expires. And then in double overtime, Zayvon Collins yet again into the passing lane. Quarterback gets hit as he throws. Zayvon Collins picks off the pass, runs away from everybody. 96-yard touchdown. Tulsa beats Tulane 30-24. Absolutely remarkable. But when you look at these numbers, in five games for the Tulsa Golden Hurricane, this guy has 34 tackles, six tackles for loss, four sacks, three interceptions, two pass breakups, and a couple of forced fumbles as well. This guy's been an absolute beast. Uh, 23 and a half tackles for loss in his three years there for the Golden Hurricane so far. Seven and a half uh, sacks, eight pass breakups, has four interceptions. You know, this is a guy who just continues to get better and better. He was a guy that was on my radar last year, playing alongside Cooper Edmiston, the, the middle linebacker there for, for the Golden Hurricane. And now he has a pretty darn good uh, inside linebacker playing next to him now in, in Justin Wright, uh, number 10, 6'2", 234 pounds, only a redshirt sophomore, very active. Uh, you know, but look, you know, I think what you have there uh, with with Coach Blakenship, you know, Tulsa is absolutely, um, you know, they're for real, man. You know, this is a team that they just need to figure out how to play four quarters because you know they, they actually seem to play better from behind, which is is really weird uh, when you think about it. You know, against East Carolina, they were down 17 to three against. Uh, Central Florida, they were down 23-12. to 12, And then against SMU, 24-7. to 7, And they came back to win in each of those games. Same thing with Tulsa. They were down you know, to their very last play. And they ended up coming back to win. And, and so, you know, that's the thing. Don't ever rule this team out. But a big reason why is Zayvon Collins. In this game uh, against uh, SMU... Zayvon Collins, six tackles, a sack, two tackles for loss, and that interception to, to clinch the game. Also had a quarterback hurry. Uh, to me, he, you know, this guy has been one of the MVPs of the entire season. You know, you look at the Golden Hurricane, they're finally ranked for the first time in quite a while. Ranked number 25th overall. And oh, by the way, against Tulane, holy cow, 15 tackles for loss. Or, I'm sorry, 15 total tackles, has a half tackle for loss, and then that interception for touchdown. 96 yards you're talking about a guy who has tremendous speed uh running away from from that entire offense there for Tulane to clinch the game really a walk-off interception a walk-off pick six absolutely ridiculous to me I look at Zayvon Collins I think he'll be a steal I think he'll end up being a second round pick he'll be a steal I think of guys like like Darius Leonard Darius Leonard was a guy you knew he was going to be a good football player but teams couldn't justify taking him in round number one but you knew he was going to be a good football player. What does he do? He goes to the Indianapolis Colts and he balls out. I'm looking at Zayvon Collins the exact same way. You know, I, I saw a, a very nice uh, you know, comp, um, you know, Ryan Roberts uh, there of uh, you know, the NFL Draft Bible. You know, he, he really looked at, 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 uh, at Zayvon Collins and a nice comp there with, with K.J. Wright. I think that that's a nice comparison, although I think Zayvon Collins is more athletic than K.J. Wright. I think Zayvon Collins actually can do a little bit more than, than K.J. Wright. I think Zayvon Collins is going to be a steal, the steal of the draft, uh, in my opinion. 
Um, you know, he's just he's so explosive. The high football IQ. He's a smart kid. Um, and so, you know, does he come out? Maybe he comes back for one more year. But after the year he's had, uh, the, the explosiveness that he's shown, I could see him opting to come out. And he'll absolutely be a day two pick and somebody that you really have to take notice of. Um, so if we look at some of the other games, um, you know, Kent State had a huge win against Bowling Green. Uh, Dustin Crum, uh, the arm strength really a concern he's athletic a guy who makes a ton of plays but the arm strength was really a huge concern uh, a lot of a lot of throws that were just poorly poorly thrown footballs underthrown um, you know yes uh, the golden flash they did win 62 24 over bowling green um, but again dustin crumb um, he's a confident mobile quarterback um, but you know the arm strength just scares me especially in that game uh, you know, Quentin Morris, when you watch this guy, he's 6'4", 250 pounds, didn't have much of an impact there uh, for Bowling Green, just two catches for, for 19 yards, but he's a big dude, led the Mac in you know, tight ends and receptions a season ago, big and physical as a blocker. I think Quentin Morris is going to get himself drafted. Uh, I, I think he'll be someone who will, will turn some heads at the combine as well. Buffalo taking out Miami of Ohio, 42 to 10. Uh, Jared Patterson just 20 carries for 73 yards and two touchdowns. But when you watch Jared Patterson play, um, he gets the hard yards. You know the, the leg drive after contact. Um, you know I, I think what, what you, his his trademark when you watch 26 there it was 5'9", 195 pounds the lateral cuts to make people miss in the backfield or in the hole I think is special and that's really the big thing for Jared Patterson more than anything else you know in this game just 3.7 yards per carry so so Patterson struggled a little bit to really get things going um, but I, I think Patterson is somebody that is just going to continue you know he gets better as the game goes along. Um, you know, I, I think as I continue to watch Coyote Awasika, um, yes, he's playing left tackle. He's going to be a guard at the next level. Uh, you see him uh, doing a really good job uh, with his hand placement, keeping his hands inside. You know, he's a knee bender, has that athleticism uh, that you want to see out of your guards. I really like Awasika. I think he'll be an early day three pick. Tommy Doyle is going to be a day two pick. Uh, you know, he's 6'8", 326 for, for Miami of Ohio. And this is a dude who you was know, picking up blitzing defensive backs, driving them up the field, getting him away from the pocket. Um, took a took a defensive tackle and just walked him back off the ball, got under his pad level and just drove him back. Uh, the hand placement has been critical for this guy. And look, he grew up as a hockey player, you know, a big six eight dude. Uh, hot, you know, and he he's just so physical. Um, and you know, he you can tell that he's you know that 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 uh, that that toughest nails mentality as a hockey player it really translates to the next to the to the football field um yes against malcolm coons you know he he did open up a little bit too early you know lost leverage at times um against some of the speed rushers so i think that's one of the things he's going to have to work on footwork a little bit i think he may need to get a little, a little bit stronger but tommy doyle is absolutely a guy um, who was in play on day two uh, Malcolm Kuntz, as I mentioned, you know, very athletic coming off the edge, 6'3", 250 pounds, five tackles in the game. The guy who showed tremendous bend coming off the edge, dipping around underneath the right tackle coming off the edge, flattening out to the quarterback. Um, really, he got most of his success coming off the right tackle as opposed to Tommy Doyle. Um, and then Antonio Nunn, I think he's starting to play, you know, starting to turn heads a little bit. 
200 pounds, uh, plus change of direction, plays bigger than he actually is, his leaping ability, his ability to attack the football in the air, um, does a really good job with uh, his, his stems. You know, that, I think that's one of the things that you see um, with the route, the route running ability. You know, and, and his catch radius is ridiculous for a guy his size. Um, so Antonio Nunn, number one for, for Buffalo, is a guy that you definitely have to keep an eye out for as well. Uh, you know, if you look at Toledo, Toledo taking on on Western Michigan. Western Michigan ends up winning 41 to 38. Just a, a guy to mention, Bryant Kobach, uh, 24 carries, 78 yards, two touchdowns. He's only a junior, uh, so he'll be coming back uh, there for the Rockets. But you know, this is a guy, you know, very strong, uh, generates a, a ton of movement, over 2,100 yards there for Toledo, 26 touchdowns, 5.9 yards per carry. He's a guy that we'll be talking about as a a, a potential sleeper in next year's draft. Uh, but Ali Fayed for, for Western Michigan. He's 6'2", 255, very quick coming off the edge, uh, turning the corner, getting to the quarterback. Uh, only two, ta- two tackles on the day, but had a sack and a forced fumble. And Ali Fayed, he's explosive, gets into the backfield. He can end up being a day three pick. And you really saw they, you know, the Broncos struggle to put a lot of pressure on Eli Peters, the Toledo quarterback, when Fayed went down to injury. So he's a guy to keep an eye out for, as is their, their big linebacker, 6'1", 225-pound, uh, Treshawn Hayward. Uh, this is a guy who was able to shoot into the backfield off the edge, uh, very athletic. Um, you know, Mac Defensive Player of the Year a season ago, and when you look at Rashawn, um, you know, last year 142 tackles, 11 going for loss, four and a half sacks. You know, a volume tackler, a high football IQ, diagnosis plays very quickly, um, and can play both the run and get after the quarterback. Uh, you want to see him drop into coverage a little bit more. I think that's really the, the big thing that's going to hang things up for uh, for Hayward. Uh, but hopefully he'll be able to showcase those skills a little bit more as the season goes on. If we get to Minnesota against Iowa, um, Iowa is a team you know trying to figure out exactly what, what's going on with them uh, week in and week out. But 35 to seven winners over the Gophers, uh, you know, and PJ Flex team really struggling. Uh, Tanner Morgan just struggling to really get things going. Um, you know, I think he's lost a lot of confidence in the first half. To seven of 18 for 55 yards and an interception. Um, you know, and he just. You know, he's he's trying to force it too much, trying to push the ball, trying to uh, get the ball to Rashad Bateman it, whenever possible, and that's going to get him into trouble as it already has. But the guy that I wanted to talk about was Mohamed Ibrahim, 5'10", 210 pounds, um, very powerful running back, 33 carries, 144 yards on the day, also had a couple of receptions. Uh, you see the hands you know, on a crossing route, able to pick the ball out of uh, out of the air. Also picked up a blitzing linebacker coming off the edge as well. But the vision, very decisive, wants to get north and south, uh, runs hard between the tackles, has a nice spin move at the second level, finishes dropping those pad levels. Uh, this is a guy who, coming into the game, was averaging 190 90 yards. Um, so... You know, a guy who's just continuing to get better and better. A guy who I think is moving into a lot of people's top tens at that running back position. Um, you know, he presses the line of scrimmage, the vision to see the opening, and then he's very decisive, puts his foot in the ground and gets there. And I think that's one of the things that uh, 
you know, there's a lot to like there with Mohamed Ibrahim. And then if we're talking about the Gophers, we have to talk about Rashad Bateman, the 6'2", 210-pound junior. Um, this is a guy who I think he's just waiting to have that big, huge game. It's like you, you see the, the, the talent. You see him able to, to make plays, um, especially you know, if, if there's off coverage. He's absolutely going to run a slant, going to get inside, and then make plays after the catch. Um, I think teams have done a pretty good job containing him. Um, you know, he doesn't have Tyler Johnson to, to kind of help protect him a little bit. So, you know, I, you know and the, the crazy thing is, is, is with Bateman, um, Tanner Morgan threw for 167 yards and 111 of those went to Bateman. So he's basically their entire offense. And, you know, if there was a quiet uh, 111 yards, that was probably it there for Rashad Bateman because you're expecting the explosive plays. Uh, you know, Alaric Jackson, the Iowa right t- uh, left tackle, um, you know, overset, you know, on a play. And Boye Mafi, the very athletic defensive end, beat him off the edge and, and uh, I'm sorry, beat him to the inside. Got a hit on the quarterback as he was throwing. Um, you know, he, he did a good job driving uh, other, you know, defensive ends off the ball, kicking him out, driving him, you know, and, and sustaining his blocks. Um, you know, very powerful in the run game. Um, I think he struggles in, in, uh, in pass pro at times. I think Alaric Jackson's probably going to end up kicking over to the right side when it's all said and done, uh, possibly even move inside to guard. Um, and a guy that I've been really high on, Sam Schluter, um, he really struggled in this game. And I thought that was one of the things, you know, you saw Zach Van Valkenburg, a 6'4", 270-pounder. Um, you know, he was a guy, he had three sacks on the day and really was giving Schluter all kinds of trouble. And really with Schluter, the pad level was getting too high. And Van Valkenburg was really driving him back into the backfield, um, you know, and had a step to the inside on a play, expecting Van Valkenburg to take that inside move. And instead, Van Valkenburg went right around edge and ends up getting his sack, you know, coming into the backfield. Uh, Schluter, I think his stock is starting to drop. That's one of the things that I'm a little worried about there. And then Davion Nixon, look, the 6'3", 305-pound defensive tackle there at Iowa. Only two tackles on the day, one of which, though, was a sack. That low pad level, very explosive coming off the ball into the backfield. He's the guy to keep an eye out for. Maybe not for this year's draft, but definitely for next year. Um, so he's a guy that I think you know is going to be rising up some draft boards here. Um, I think for next season. Um, looking at receivers, um, you know I thought Trevon Grimes was a, a nice go-to target there for Kyle Trask. Uh, now that Kyle Pitts uh, was was out of the game, it sounds like he may not even it may not even play in the next game either with that like, concussion, that huge scary hit uh, coming over the middle. Uh, Lewis seen the, the safety ultimately ended up getting ejected for targeting there in that game against Georgia. Um, but but Trevon Grimes, you, know, the, you see the catch radius, you see his ability to go up and make plays. Um, the big question is going to be what he runs. Um, in, in the 40, you know, I think he'll probably end up being a day three guy, but somebody who uh, is going to make an NFL roster and somebody who I think can end up making some plays for, for an NFL franchise. Um, let's see. Who else do we have here? You know, when we look at it, you know, Indiana with that win, not only are we talking about the offense, we have to talk about the defense a little bit. Micah McFadden. He's only a junior. I wanted to bring him up though because this is a guy who I think we're going to be talking about as kind of as somebody um, at inside linebacker who you know just makes a ton of plays for the Hoosiers, much like you know uh, Isaiah McDuffie there for for BC, also a junior. 
very active. He's one of the, the nation leaders in tackles and just very instinctive, high football IQ, read and react type of player. Um, he's always around the ball, both he and Mac Richardson, Max Richardson there for BC. Um, the volume tackling, is that going to ultimately you know, propel him into uh, the 2020 draft or 2021 draft? Probably not. I think McDuffie comes back, plays again for BC. I think with BC, they have a lot of young guys, a lot of young core there. Um, you know, they have Alec Lindstrom, the, the, the center. You have some guys, uh, you know, Hunter Long is only a junior as well. Phil Dracovic is a redshirt sophomore. Um, there are some players there on that team who are underclassmen, and you could absolutely see them all come back for Jeff Halfley, uh, who's really a, a coach on the rise. And BC could be a team that we're talking about, uh, you know, challenging the, the heavyweights there in the ACC next season. Um, you know, the the Northwestern game, Northwestern undefeated, uh, you know, after taking on Purdue and winning that game. And I'll tell you, in that game, you, know, you had Greg Newsom going up against David Ball, and you know, and, and you know, I'm sorry, David Bell and. You know, David Bell, you know, he's 6'2", 205, only a sophomore, but a guy who just, you know, he's athletic, a guy who has a lot of speed, he goes up and attacks the football in the air, and the battle that he had with Greg Newsom, you know, was ridiculous. Newsom, 6'1", 190 pounds, only a junior, but he was very physical, you know, got a, got called for PI a couple of times with, with some of the grabbiness a little bit, got a little bit too physical at times, but, you know, a guy who was in phase more often than not did a really good job attacking the football at the catch point um drives really well on the football he's the guy he's one of those those sneaky good uh, corners there for, for for northwestern and somebody to keep an eye on i think everyone's talking about patty fisher and blake Gall uh, gallagher the, the linebackers but uh greg newsom's a guy that uh is definitely on my radar at that corner position and i'll give you a guy who's going to be a sleeper for me a guy who you know, may not even get drafted but uh, the versatility is, is ridiculous here. He's only 6'1", 245 pounds, but, uh, but Derek Barnes is a converted defensive end, now playing inside linebacker, really hasn't played inside linebacker much. You know, I think he started as a, you know, an outside backer, now moved to inside. And in this game, he had 14 tackles, two and a half for loss. And you know, he reads, you know, reads and reacts, shooting through gaps, getting downhill, dropping running backs in the backfield. Um, you know, outside zone, gets outside, shooting the gap, and, and gets downhill, dropping the running back, uh, you know, for no gain. Uh, this is a guy who, you know, for somebody who is new to the position, is not playing like it. And, and he's been in somebody that I think was on my radar coming into the season. Um, I was really expecting him to be more, play, you know, playing more on the outside, kind of that that rush linebacker type of a, a position, but he's really been playing on the inside and he's been playing well. Um, you know, a season ago uh, as a defensive end, you know, six, uh, 63 tackles, 11 tackles for loss, seven, sack, seven and a half sacks. Uh, as a sophomore, he was a linebacker, 92 tackles, eight tackles for loss and three sacks. And then you move him inside so far uh, in just three games, 27 tackles, two and a half for loss, also has an interception. Um, you know, he showed that he can drop a little bit. Uh, 40 games played there at Purdue. Uh, you know, if you get to watch the, the Boilermakers, number 55 on defense is definitely a must-see uh, for Purdue. 
Uh, you know, Lorenzo Neal, the defensive tackle, the 6'3", 325-pounder, you know, battled injuries a season ago. He's back, and uh, I think he's getting back to form. You know, the, uh, the son of, of, of Lorenzo Neal, the, the fullback uh, that had a nice long NFL career, really a low pad level, um, especially in short yardage plays to blow up the, the – uh, the run play, you know, he has the power to drive interior linemen back into the backfield. Very active hands. You know, you see the, the speed to power to generate a lot of movement uh, as well. I think Lorenzo Neal is a guy, you know, the medicals would have to check out for him, but he's somebody that I think you can see on NFL radars on day three as well uh, there for uh, Purdue. Um, so when I look at, you know, across the, the landscape here, uh, for for week number 11, I think there are quite a few players that definitely took uh, you know, took a step forward. And uh, you know, I'll tell you, you know, one guy who definitely falls into that mix is Dorian Thompson Robinson. You know, if you look at the box score, you're just going to see 14 14 of 26 for 196 yards, a touchdown and an interception, 12 carries for 82 yards, and another score. But what he did against the Cal Bears, you know, I think he was the big reason why UCLA won 34-20. But you see the athleticism. Now, this was a guy that was breaking ankles uh, at, at the next level. Um, linebackers just really didn't know what was going on. He was so sudden with his, his ability to make plays. You, know, you worry about the arm um, you know, quite a bit, but you watch him in the open field, and he's just special with the ball in his hands. You know, I, I think he's going to be a guy that – you know, an NFL franchise may just want to get him onto the field because of the way that he's able to create in space. Um, you know, in that game as well, uh, Osa Odigazua, you know, five tackles, you know, uh, one and a half sacks, two and a half tackles for loss. You saw the explosiveness. That's really, you know, was his calling card. He was shooting gaps and getting into the backfield. There was a run play uh, that was supposed to be heading into the gap that he came from and blew up that run play and forced the running pack to, to try to bounce it outside right into a linebacker. He didn't even make the play on, on the football, but he was a guy that was disruptive and ultimately forced him into the linebacker. Odigazua is a guy to me um, that I, I think will, will he'll probably be, you know, could he fall into, into round number three? I think it's possible. I think that third, fourth round range, but you see the explosiveness, his ability to shoot gaps, get into the backfield. He's playing uh, defensive end, and really kind of a you know two to three down lineman there for UCLA. 6'2", 279 pounds. Um, definitely a guy to to watch there for the Bruins. And uh, then Demetric Felton, he's only 5'9", 186 pounds. If you haven't seen this guy play, he's a converted receiver, but uh, you know, the vision, you know, it's surprising as a as, you know as a running back, the vision, his ability, you know, he wants to get north and south when he can, but you know, he ha he's very elusive in the open field, very electric uh, with the ball in his hands. I just think of Tariq Cohen, and you think of some of those smaller, diminutive-type players, um, and there's always a role for them at the next level. Demetric Felton is one of those sneaky uh, prospects who might find his way onto a football field. Now, why you know, UCLA and Cal? That was an interesting game. You know, it was played at the Rose Bowl on Sunday, Sunday morning. Why did this happen? Well, UCLA was supposed to play Arizona State. Cal was supposed to play... Uh, gosh, who was it? Who were they? In any event, both of those games were canceled due to, oh, I'm sorry, I think Cal was supposed to play Utah. Cal was playing Utah, UCLA was playing, um, as I said, UCLA was playing Arizona State. Both of those teams were hit hard with COVID. 
So essentially the Pac-12 looked at it and said, all right, well, UCLA, Cal, you guys aren't affected by COVID. You guys don't have any, you know, have anyone to play. Why don't we have you two take on each other? And, you know, these are two programs, you know, Chip Kelly and Justin Wilcox are very familiar with with each other. So, you know, they ended up showing, you know, I think they only had two or three days notice with this to really put everything together. And the Bruins ended up coming out on top, like I said, 34 to 20. But it was just one of those situations, really COVID making an impact yet again. Um, so not only did you have Alabama and, uh, and Georgia and Ohio State not playing, but then you also had UCLA playing on a Sunday uh, at the Rose Bowl. So, you know, it's kind of we're bookending this conversation here with week 11 uh, with, with COVID. And I think that's really going forward. What is COVID going to look like? You know, I think it's kind of a war of attrition uh, in some respects with a lot of these programs. And I'll tell you, uh, the conferences and college football playoff committee, you know, they're going to have some challenges. You look at a team like Wisconsin, they've only played a couple of games due to COVID. Uh, what, what is going to happen there, um, you know, in terms of who you're going to take? You know, if you're looking at that and you're looking at the schedule, who are you gonna gonna end up taking if you've got another team with a similar record as, as Wisconsin? Um, you know who are you gonna have play in the Big Ten championship, and what's that gonna mean? You know teams that are playing only six games in the Pac-12 or seven games. Um, you know you have Ohio State now. They they had a game against Maryland that got canceled. So if that game gets canceled, is that going to potentially impact Ohio State getting into the college football playoff? I think this is one where you really have to trust your eyes, trust the eye test. And right now, the top four teams are Alabama, Notre Dame, uh, Ohio State, and Clemson. You know, and, and I, I think after that, you've got Florida really knocking on the door. I know that Texas A&M is ranked number five overall. Um, but I think Florida is really that that team that should be getting that next billing. And uh, if you're looking for a couple of teams that are kind of flying under the radar as non-Power 5 schools, I think Cincinnati and BYU are two that you really have to keep an eye out for. BYU has just been dominating teams. And uh, you know, with Zach Wilson at quarterback, I'd love to see that team get a shot in the playoff. But unfortunately, if you don't have uh, uh, an expanded playoff, I don't think that's going to happen. Um, but BYU, absolutely. I, I wish this team could have played the schedule that they had because it was kind of a murderer's row. A lot of top-notch Power 5 schools, uh, and we didn't get to see Kalani Sataki's crew do that, uh, play that schedule. But uh, you know, it's something that I think BYU could p- still potentially end up in a, in a you know, group of uh, the, the final you know, one, uh, top bowl game when it's all said and done. I think BYU can play in a top bowl game when it's all said and done. I think you're gonna that New Year's Six uh, BYU will absolutely be there when when uh, when it comes time for the bowl season. So with that said, it's time to take a look at week number twelve, Saturday, November twenty-first. What games do we have that we have to check out? Obviously, the big game of the Big Ten. You have the number nine ranked Indiana Hoosiers, Michael Penix, Stevie Scott, the running back, the powerful one cut and go running back, and then the receivers. You have your slot receiver with Wap Fillior, and you have Ty Fry Fogel, the, the possession receiver extraordinaire, going up against Ohio State. Obviously, Justin Fields, he just looks stronger, looks more confident, looks more relaxed in the offense, and that's that 
that spells doom for a lot of opponents. You know, you have Chris Olave uh, and Garrett Wilson, the receivers, uh, defensively. Uh, Barrett Browning, uh, Baron Browning at linebacker is very versatile, as is Pete Werner. He's more like a safety than a linebacker, really. And then Sean Wade on the outside. It's going to be an interesting matchup. Um, you know, I, I think you know what you're going to see is Indiana's defense really being tested. Micah McFadden's going to have to come up huge for the Hoosiers. I think you know Reese Taylor and uh, Devin Matthews and company in the secondary are going to be tested early and often. Um, you know, Coastal Carolina really going to get challenged there against Appalachian State, number 15th ranked Chanticleers. Um, you know, again, you know, if you haven't seen them play, you, you got to watch them. Um, you know, also a, a freshman at quarterback there for uh, the, the Chants and uh, Taron Jackson, one of my favorite defensive ends, a guy who's just relentless getting after the quarterback, 6'2", 260 pounds, a guy who I think we're going to be hearing his name called on day three of the draft. Uh, BYU, um, you know, I, I just want to mention them. They're ranked number eight in the country now. Uh, they're taking on North Alabama. That was really just you know something that they could get onto their schedule. I'm sure they would have liked to have played someone else, but you know, frankly, when it comes down to it for BYU and their schedule, when you're dealing with teams that are in conference, it makes it difficult to really fill out a, a schedule last minute. So I think those were some of the challenges that they ran into. Uh, I mentioned one uh, matchup of unbeatens in the Big Ten. Well, afternoon game, you're going to see another battle of unbeatens as the number 10 ranked Wisconsin Badgers, Graham Mertz and company, the defense led by Jack Sanborn, going up against Northwestern, number 19th ranked uh, Wildcats at home in Evanston, Illinois, uh, Ryan Field, uh, Peyton Ramsey, the Indiana transfer, really has that offense, uh, you know, firing on all cylinders. We've mentioned Patty Fisher, um, I think a, a linebacker who uh, has played in a ton of games, you know, he, he a four-year starter, uh, volume tackler, very intelligent player, uh, limited athletically, which is going to hurt his draft stock. Um, you know, I mentioned Greg, Greg Newsom. This is a team that doesn't make a ton of mistakes, but I think Wisconsin just too much for them uh, when it's all said and done. Um, although, you know, if, Notre, if Northwestern can get to Graham Mertz and really pressure him, then I, I think Northwestern has a shot. So we continue moving through, um, and we look at Alabama. They're taking on Kentucky. Um, you know, I, I really think Bama is going to, to run away with this one. But Kentucky, if you get a chance to watch this game, there are a couple of offensive linemen that you really have to take notice of. Landon Young, the left tackle, and Drake Jackson, the center. Both guys who are going to hear their names called, probably going to be day three guys, but absolutely guys who are going to uh, make an NFL roster, in my opinion. Uh, Iowa State, number 17th ranked Cyclones, their first in the Big 12, taking on Kansas State. Um, watch out for Wyatt Huber getting after Brock Purdy. Um, he's one of those underrated defensive ends there for K-State. Um, continuing through, Auburn taking on Tennessee. Um, I just like tuning in to watch Tennessee whenever I can to watch Trey Smith, that interior lineman there for uh, for the balls. Uh, would have loved to have seen him go up against Derrick Brown this year, but obviously Derrick Brown has moved on. Um, when you watch Auburn play, um, you know this is going to be a game to where you know Bo Nix up and down um, is he going to be able to perform that's going to be a huge question mark uh, that'll be an interesting game um, Virginia Tech taking on Pittsburgh um, here's the matchup that you'll want to watch you know Patrick Jones uh, the second and and Rashad Weaver going up against Christian Derrissaw you know I mean we talked about him erasing Quincy Roche 
All right, now you're going up against both Jones and Weaver, two powerful and athletic defensive ends. That's going to be a game to watch. Uh, I'm getting ready to, to watch that one for sure. Uh, Georgia taking on Mississippi State, number 13th ranked uh, Georgia Bulldogs taking on Mississippi State Bulldogs, Battle of the Bulldogs in Athens. JT Daniels, the sophomore transfer from USC, is going to be making the start in this game. Um, you know, I think for Georgia still, it's all about the defense. Uh, going up against Mike Leach's crew, I think this one's going to be uh, a pretty easy one for Georgia. Um, and then you got Bedlam there, one of the evening games, number 14th ranked Cowboys. Uh, this may be their best team in quite a while going in against the Sooners. Uh, it'll be played in Norman at uh, Gaylord Family Memorial Stadium. Number 18th ranked Oklahoma Sooners being led by uh, by Spencer Rattler, the redshirt freshman. And uh, this is going to be an interesting game. Oklahoma's defense is starting to get better. And you watch Oklahoma State, they're kind of struggling to get things generated. Uh, the offensive line outside of Tevin Jenkins has really been struggling. Tevin Jenkins, to me, is an absolute day two pick uh, for I think he'd end up being a second rounder, that right tackle there for for the Cowboys. Um, but you know they, they struggle to get things going. Chuba Hubbard really hasn't been able to create on his own, um, and that's really been a huge concern. I think it's been a blow to his draft stock. Really want to see what Tyler Wallace can do on the outside against OU's secondary. OU's defense has gotten better under Alex Grinch um, as this season has worn on. Um, the sophomore tight end Austin Sogner, I think, is going to play a huge role in this game. You know, you're going to need a receiver that's going to step up. Rodarius Williams, the the, the corner. Corner, number eight for, for Oklahoma State. I think Spencer Rattler is going to try to throw away from him whenever possible. Watch out for Amen Ogbong Liga trying to get into the backfield. And of course, Trey Ford, uh, Trace Ford, the athletic defensive end. He's 6'4, 250 pounds coming off the edge. That's going to be a huge concern there for Oklahoma. But here's the deal with Oklahoma. What I think is going to be the difference, Ramondre Stevenson. Remember that name. He's 6'250 pounds. Uh, he was suspended uh, for the Peach Bowl a season ago and for the first few games of this year uh, due to uh, marijuana being busted for marijuana. Um, and Stevenson is just a difference maker. This offense looks completely different when he's in the ball game. You know, a guy that has, is so powerful but very quick feet, very light on his feet for a guy his size. He's a guy to me, you really, obviously there's some red flags there with, with this kid, but if everything checks out with him, he could potentially be a guy that he'll probably won't get drafted until day three, but a guy who is, again, he's going to be that sleeper that, you know, at the running back position that people are going to be like, where did this guy come from? Uh, Liberty, uh, ranked number 21 in the country. They've been beating teams up. They beat Virginia Tech. Uh, and you know you've got uh, you know the, the Auburn transfer Malik Willis at quarterback. Um, you know Hugh Freeze has things going there for the the, the Flames taking on NC State. That's going to be interesting. Taking off on another Power Five school from from the ACC. We'll see if Liberty's really for real there. Um, you know Missouri taking on South Carolina. A couple of two and four teams, uh, but I mention it because you know you got to watch Nick. Uh, Nick Bolton there for, for Mizzou. And then the safeties, Joshua Bledsoe and uh, and Tyree Gillespie. Those are a couple, you know, three guys there on the defensive side of the ball for Mizzou that you have to tune in and watch. Obviously with South Carolina, you're going to have J.C. Horn, uh, the, the corner, and uh, you're, you're going to have, you know, Shai Smith, the receiver there in the slot. Um, 
USC getting a very late game. It's going to be 7.30 out on the West Coast, 10.30 on, uh, on the East Coast. The 20th-ranked Trojans going into Salt Lake City, Rice-Eccles Stadium against Utah. Utah, I think this is their first game of the year because they've been battled and hit so hard with COVID. It's going to be interesting to see what happens uh, in Salt Lake City. What type of team are we going to see out of USC? Are they going to make any adjustments? Is Clay Helton really going to... Uh, to make that that offense, you know, is, is he's got to do something, put his foot down with, with Graham Harrell, make him attack the middle of that defense, and uh, you know when they run that zone and, and run the ball. If you run the ball, that's going to pull the safeties up, and then you'll be able to throw behind the safeties as well. Uh, marquee step for USC, only a sophomore, power and speed, very athletic. He's a running back to watch there for the Trojans as well. Um, and there are some games that have been uh, postponed or canceled. Quite a few of them, actually. Uh, let's see. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 games. 13 total games um, of which 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6 of them have been canceled. That includes uh, Louisiana taking on Central Arkansas. Uh, that you know, that's number 24 ranked uh, Raging Cajuns. Um, you've got a few games there out of the the Mountain West, Arizona State and Colorado canceled as well. Um, you know, a couple of other teams that are ranked that have games that are postponed. Number 12 ranked Miami against Georgia Tech has been postponed. Uh, number 15th ranked Marshall uh, Thundering Herd against Charlotte that game has been postponed as well. Uh, number 22 ranked Texas Longhorns. Uh, you know can't go to Kansas this week uh, so that game has been postponed as well uh, the big question is going to be when are these games going to be made up are we going to see them um, you know made up at any point you know that, that's going to be a huge question mark there I think we're, we're starting to get towards the end of the season and if all of these uh, conference championships are really going to be played by December 19th I just don't know how you're going to fit in all of these games when it's all said and done? Uh, you know, Texas A&M's another team. They're going up against Old Miss, uh, number you know, number five Aggies. Their game has been postponed. So you know, as you watch this, there's almost as many games being postponed as there are games out on the field. I know that's not the case, but it feels like that. And you know, it's one of those things. How many more are we going to see? At, at what point is enough enough? Um, you know, with with this, I think. We've made it this far, so I think we're going to continue to push on. But again, it's going to make things difficult for the conferences. It's going to make things difficult for the college football playoff. And frankly, we've got bowls that are be played. And it'll be hard for, I think, a lot of the bowl committees to really figure out who they're going to bring in and play some of those bowl games as well, especially with a lot of these these shortened seasons. And what does that really mean for, uh, for some of these programs? It's really going to make things you know, really tough to, to figure out when it's all said and done. Uh, but that is going to be week 12. Those are going to be some of the matchups that I'm going to be watching about, uh, uh, talking about, watching for sure. And uh, you know, we'll go ahead and bring it, this podcast to a close. We'll do it all again next week. We'll talk about week 12. And again, we'll talk about some guys whose, uh, you know, draft stock has been on the rise. Maybe a couple that have, uh, you know, draft stock has fallen. Who's going to be the guy that, that's going to be those breakout performers that we've been talking about? Uh, you know, Zayvon Collins, you know, again, you know, week 11 and week 12 has been the hero there for, for Tulsa. Uh, just continues week in and week out to be the playmaker for them. And so who's that going to be? Who are going to be some of those guys here for uh, their programs in week 12? What's going to happen there? If Indiana is going to win 
Is it going to be Ty Freifogel and, and Wap Fillior really helping out Michael Penix Jr.? Or is Justin Fields really just going to take over that game? That's going to be a huge question mark. Um, you know, Clemson's taking on Florida State. Florida taking on Vanderbilt. Um, you know, I think you know you're going to see Travis Etienne running over uh, the, the Seminole defense. You're going to see Kyle Trask putting on another uh, tremendous display uh, there. Can he throw for four plus touchdowns again? That's going to be interesting against the Commodores. Really struggling there in the SEC. Uh, Derek Mason, I think his job is in jeopardy for sure. Zach Wilson going up against North Alabama. You know, I, I think he'll probably shut it down at halftime in that game. You know, Wisconsin Northwestern. Northwestern doesn't make a whole lot of mistakes. You know, you're going to see that defense. Who's going to be the playmaker on the offense to step up for the Wildcats? Or is it going to be Graham Mertz and company there for Wisconsin? Uh, an offensive line led by the left tackle, Cole Van Lannon, who is a, uh, a pro prospect, a guy who's probably going to get drafted in the fourth or fifth round of this year's draft. Um, you know, And look, Wisconsin, they always produce uh, offensive linemen. So you know that... Uh, you know, it's not going to be an NFL draft these days if you're not going to have a Wisconsin offensive lineman, much like Alabama's O-line as well. Um, you know, with, obviously you're going to have Alex Leatherwood, Deontay Brown, and Landon Dickerson all drafted uh, this season. And then one game that I left out, Oregon taking on UCLA, number 11 ranked Oregon Ducks. Tyler Shaw, you know, if you haven't seen him play, very athletic, a cannon for an arm. He'll go up against DTR. Dorian Thompson-Robinson, the athletic quarterback there for the Bruins. It's going to be an interesting game. Oregon struggled a little bit against Washington State this past weekend. So, you know, I think UCLA gets that confidence against uh, you know, against Cal after losing to Colorado. If they can cut down on the penalties and cut down on the mistakes and the turnovers, UCLA may surprise people there against Oregon. I don't think they're going to win in Austin Stadium, but look, you know, without the fans, Austin Stadium is not um, what it what it uh, what it can be. So I, I think that'll be a game that uh, could be a sneaky good game in the Pac-12. We're going to go ahead and bring this podcast to a close. I hope you've enjoyed the content. I know I've enjoyed bringing it to you. We'll break down week 12 next week. Come on back. We'll talk some more football. For readyforthedraft.com, this has been the Ready for the Draft podcast. I've been your host, Greg Schutz. Take care, everyone. Enjoy your weekends. And until next week, I am out of here. Take care.